turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. I titled the sermon. Oh, this thing isn't working even. There it goes. I titled the sermon, From Foe to Father. From Foe to Father. And we're going to be looking at the transition now of studying what is the gospel that we believe and, and how does it function, kind of the mechanics of it, to now the implications of this great declaration of righteousness that we have received by grace through faith in Christ. That is the nature of the way that God has, has written this gospel. His salvation is uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to these, uh, the glory of God alone. And now the implications, all of the, the overflow that we're going to be studying from chapter 5, 6, and 7, and 8, it just it comes like a crescendo in, in, in greater and greater intensity. And we're going to arrive at chapter 8 and, and just listen to the, the, the ring of the gospel as it expands from there. So let's begin in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I want to read these, these two verses we're going to cover today, and then we're going to look up close, kind of pull them apart and look at each aspect of them. Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that's kind of a sum up of everything we've looked at thus far, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And, because this is Paul, the sentence doesn't end there, right? There's always another comma. And, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Wow. So let's move through these verses little by little and, and unpack them uh, in all of their glory and, and see how they show us the, the, the gospel that we have believed. Verse 1, the first part of it, I titled Forever at Peace. Forever at Peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so easy it is to, to miss the with there. This is a different kind of peace than the peace that comes from God. Okay? Paul wants us to be clear on this. And I was surprised at a number of commentaries that, that did not distinguish this. Paul is not talking about the peace that we receive from God. He's talking about being at peace with God. Okay, so let's talk about the second. The, 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 the peace that we get from God uh, sounds like this. Philippians chapter 4, right? Um, be anxious for nothing, uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, or the peace that comes from God, well, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this is the, the kind of peace that comes and goes, right? The kind of peace that, that sometimes we're in a situation and we need this peace. And so we pray, oh Lord, I look to you, I depend upon you. Will you please meet me in this? Bring your perfect peace. Be still, my soul. My soul isn't still. I look to you to find the calm, right? But the peace here that is being referenced is a different peace entirely. It is the end of hostility that Paul has in view. 
We, my friends, we were warriors against God. There was enmity, and it was instinctual to us. We were those who were making war on the God who is. And as I've said in the past, when you go to war with God, you lose every time. This is who we were, who we were, who we were before he saved us. Look at this list. This is not comprehensive, but here's a few of the things that defined us before Christ. We were haters of the one true God. Haters of God. Rebels at heart. Not, not seeking God, as it says uh, in Romans 3. No one seeks for God. We were, we were bent against God. Our instinct was to, to rail against Him. To rebel against Him. To run from Him, not to Him. We were at war with God. We were the ones who made the good and almighty God our enemy. We were suppressors of truth. God in His love and grace created a world dripping with glory and His fingerprints were everywhere. And every time we saw it, we hated it. We suppressed it. We don't want that truth. As it says in John 3, the light shines in the darkness, right? The darkness doesn't comprehend it. We don't want that light. Get that light out of here. We don't want evil deeds exposed. We were exchangers of God's glory. Three times in Romans 1, they exchanged, they exchanged, they exchanged. Therefore, God gave them over. That's us. That's what we do. Rather than delight in the glory of God, we demean it and we exchange it. We don't value or treasure it. We push it away. We are inventors of evil. We were inventors of evil and endorsers of evil, right? As we read in Romans 1. Hmm. We were unable and unwilling to honor or give thanks to God. That is who we were. We were warriors against God. We were at war with God. But then God did something that we could not do. He reached down and overcame our hatred, our hardness of heart, and he changed us from within. He saved us by grace, by grace. And then he granted us the very faith that we placed in Christ, and he declared us righteous. You're mine. I save you. I I. I wash you of sins that you have committed through the work of my son Jesus. You are now declared, gavel pounds, righteous in my sight. Wow, what a change this is, a massive change. God moves now in this from foe to father. No longer do we have a, a God who is angry at our sin and angry at us as we sin against Him. And rightly so, just in His righteous anger against us, rolling out waves of wrath over our lives and storing up for ourselves as we rail against Him, wrath forever. No longer is God a foe. He's a Father. A Father filled with love and mercy and grace and tenderness. All of the wrath that we deserved 
was poured out on Jesus Christ. And by faith, we receive His forgiveness. Hmm. You have a Father in heaven, not a foe. What a massive change this is. This peace that we have with God, the end of hostilities, the declaration of the war is over. It is full and immediate upon your conversion. It is not uncertain. There's not some skirmishes left, like some snipers in the towers that have to be cleared, and you've got to kind of be careful for a while as you walk and, and hope that you don't disappoint them. Or, yeah, or, you know, wow, that scared me. <laughs> but you're walking it out. You're, you're living the Christian life, and you're thinking, man, I hope he doesn't change his mind. No, that's not what this is. This peace is full and immediate. Look at the words. Since we have been justified by faith, we not will have or have in part, but we have peace with God. It's ours in full immediately upon conversion. God is not holding back anything saying, boy, I, I, I don't know. We're just going to have a little testing time here. We'll see if this really works out or not. See if they're worthy of this. See if they're, they're going to earn this forget no it's nothing like that it is full and forever peace there's no wrath to receive from the hand of the father no wrath for the children only love and discipline this discipline comes in love not wrath the wrath has been taken and absorbed in full by christ it's not only a full and immediate peace that we possess, but it is also an invincible and everlasting peace. This peace cannot be uh, messed up. It, it can't be overcome. You can't sin your way out of this peace. It is certain, promised, and secure. And it's yours in Christ. Someone asked me after the first service, but what about the unforgivable sin? The great question, friends, is there a sin that a believer can commit? A truly saved person, this scary sin that you commit that can threaten your eternal future or undo the peace that God has set upon you? Is that possible? The answer is no. It is not possible. The unforgivable sin is unbelief. That's the sin that people every day go to hell clinging to. Rejection of God. When by God's grace, he makes you live and you enter into this amazing relationship with Christ by faith, you are his forever. And there's peace. And it's sure and certain. It is invincible. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. No one. Not even you. No one. You're his. He will hold you fast. And you will be brought all the way home until you're face to face with the king. Well, pastor, what about the 
the, the, the professing Christian who turns their back on Christ and then just dives headlong back into the world. What do we make of that? They went out from us because they were not of us. It means that they, while they may have thought they were saved, they were not truly saved. They were giving lip service to Christ, but they were not in, on fire of faith in Christ. They were not looking to Christ as Savior and Lord. And so we continue to pray. Lord, save them. Save them from their sins. But a Christian cannot lose his salvation. A Christian cannot endanger or lose this peace. We have peace with God forever through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever been haunted by past sin? You ever lay in bed at night and think back about things that you've done or said, and you just, all of a sudden, your heart's just filled with regret? You think back of all the things that you haven't done or haven't said, and you just feel this weight on your chest. And all of a sudden, that it just hits you. Condemnation. I, I failed. I, I am a terrible person. I am not worthy. I, I'm afraid that I'm too bad of a sinner to truly be forgiven. You ever heard people say, I, I, listen, I know, that, I know God forgave me, but I can't forgive me. Friends, I got a little twist on that. You might feel that, but that's one of the most arrogant things you could ever think. Who do you think you are? That the God of all holiness and justice could forgive you, but your standard is that much higher than God, and you can't forgive you? You see what I'm saying? So dispense with that silliness. Where do we go with condemnation? Where do we run when we're haunted by past sins? We go to the gospel. We run to the cross. We come again in faith to Christ and say, Romans 5, verse 1, I have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. No merit of my own. No, I don't deserve it. You're right, I am a terrible sinner. But I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And I believe it. How many times during a normal week do you run to the gospel? Let's use this last week as an example. Take just any of the days of your week. How many times on those days did you find yourself running back to the beauty of the gospel, of what Christ accomplished for you? When confronted by sin that you were committing in this past week and God in His love and grace placed upon you through His Spirit conviction of that sin and good guilt from Him to stir you to move away from that sin, to, to steer you as a loving father would discipline, to correct you and move you to repent of that sin and run to the gospel. How often this week did that take place? Sometimes we can think of the gospel as something that happens 
or, or that happened once. It's, I was saved back here. And then we move on this into something else. Like, what is this over here? No, friends, the supernatural of work of your salvation, it happened at a moment in time. But the gospel that saves you is the air that you breathe as a Christian every day. It is the air that you, it's, it's a place that you run every time you're confronted with your current sin or your past sin or fear that you're going to sin, where do you go? You run to the cross. Run back to the gospel. Hmm. Christian, since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to live with this unsettled weight on your shoulders, somehow saying, well, I know, I know He forgave me, but man, I just... I just have to still carry all this burden of all of my past failures and all of my sins. And I know I have peace with God, but, but still, I just ha- I have to carry, I can't let this down. I have to carry it. No, you don't. You don't. Come to the cross and lay it down. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your finished work. In faith, I come to you with this sin that you have loved me enough to put into my view and I bring it to you, and I lay it at your feet, and I thank you for bleeding and dying to pay for that sin, and I leave it there, buried with you in the ground, paid in full. I thank you for forgiving me from that sin, and I pray that you would help me to live in obedience and run with you. Friends, every day, that's every day for the Christian. That's our life, that's what we breathe, that's what we do. That's the vocation of the Christian life. John Calvin called this, it's it's a life of perpetual confession and repentance. How do you do it? You run to the gospel. Hmm. Paul would say to the Galatians in chapter 3, foolish Galatians, do you believe that that you were saved by grace and now are going to be perfected by works? No, no. You are saved by God's grace and you are held in His grace and you are to persevere and walk each day in His grace through faith in Christ. Hmm. There is, believer in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. No condemnation whatsoever. Just say it again, just so we feel this. So often we don't think this way. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and He died for your sins, He died for all of your sins. All of them. Every sin you will ever commit on this planet has been paid for in full. You don't surprise Him. You're not going to sin and and God's going to be like, oh, whoa, didn't see that coming. Got to rethink this whole thing, this whole piece. I don't know. No, it's paid in full. You're forgiven. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. So forgetting what lies behind, I press on, right? Press on. Don't carry the weight of former sins. Lay them down. Be free. It's peace with God. Don't carry the weight of current sins. You weren't made to be living in sin. You were set free. So lay those down as well and be free. 
confess them and run. Run to the cross. Now, our single focus in this, this is a gospel work. This is everyday gospel work. I just had to break this apart and and draw attention to it. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. Through. So let's move word by word. Through. Through. It's through Christ. In his own words, he said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't come through anyone else, and you can't come on your own. The only way we can have peace with God is through through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you come? Have you come through Jesus Christ to the Father? I pray that you have. His arms are open. Oh, His arms are open. Come. Come and be free. Come and have peace. Stop the hostilities. Lay down your your rebel weapons of war and surrender. Come and repent. Come and live and be forgiven. He is the only Savior. He is the sinner's only hope in this day, in all of the days before now, and in every day to come. It's Jesus. He is the only way. I was struck by the word our, through our Lord, Jesus Christ. I I just love this. The we and the our. Think of how how this brings us together. I love that that the church is a a, a congregation. We're brought together in Christ. We have peace. We have peace. In fact, I wanted, as we were singing uh, one of those songs, I wanted to change the I to a we after studying this week because it's us. We're together in this. We, we share Christ, which means that we are those who are partakers of this peace together. And so we sing and we worship Him. And then this word, Lord. What a special word. That, that could be, it could be that He said through our Savior, Jesus Christ. That would be true, right? But He says here, through our Lord, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, for the Christian, that means that that God is the owner of you. He owns you. You are his happy slave, his servant. He is the master. We are his prized possession. He is the commander of your life. He is the one who rules. He is sovereign over you. So then I I rewind the tape and I look back this week and I say, okay, did I live that way this week? Did I live my life in such a way that establishes the lordship, the sovereign rulership of Jesus Christ over every decision I make? Answer, no, I did not. (laughs) I was not as aware as I ought to have been. Think of this. Think of the decisions that you made this past week. All the decisions, countless decisions. How often did you consult him? How often did you look to him for wisdom? When you were dealing with with situations or relationships or, or problems, how often did you go to the sovereign to whom you report and before whom your knees are bowed and consult with him? Friends, The Lordship of Christ 
is at the very core of what it means to delight in the peace of God. He is our Lord, our Master. The rebels are gone. Now we bow before a King who is right and righteous. Now our firm foundation, verse 2, the first part of verse 2, let's look at that. Our firm foundation. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, the through continues, it's, it's through Him that we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Sometimes people will, will come to Christ and, and say, listen, I, I, I am so thankful that He saved me from my sins and, and I, I, I trust Him fully, but I now I've got to prove myself, right? I've got to show that this, this investment in my life was worth it. I have to carry now the weight of responsibility to make myself the, 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 the object of such lavish forgiveness to try to prove. Friends, Paul wants you to know this morning, you stand in grace. You, you're standing, the Christian, his standing is grace. It's unmerited favor. God has set his favor upon you and he loves you. So just think of what this means. It's, it's more than that we have peace with God. That, that in itself would be amazing. Imagine all of us as a little army here and we've got our little swords and our pickaxes and we've been trying to beat up God, right? Silly, silly uh, thought that would be. How insignificant, like little pesky flies, you know. And all of a sudden, God disarms us. He changes us and he says, peace, you're no longer rebels, your sons, your daughters. And then he goes back into the castle and closes the door. And, 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 and there we are. We're like, oh, okay. So the, the hostility is done. We have peace. But does he love us? Is he close? Did he just solve the, the battle issue or is there something else that we have? And Paul says, yeah, you, you stand now in grace. The lavish love and grace of God is ours. We have a father. We have a father who loves us. When God looks at the believer who an hour ago was dead in his trespasses and sins, Spurgeon says, the father feels no less love for him than he feels when he looks upon his own son. Wow. Sometimes we have to fight in faith to believe that. Why does he look upon us with this love? Grace. Grace. He knows our sin. In fact, he knows our sin way better than we ever will. He sees how grotesque and reaching it is, how truly deep it is. And even still, he looks at you with the same love that he holds for his own son. The union that we have with Christ is more than just about salvation. It's about forever our relationship. The union we have in Christ is not just about 
his, his, his work on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, our union with Christ is, has implications for the way that, that God the Father loves us. That he would look upon us with the same love he has for his son. That's mind-blowing. Trying to picture my children coming in and, and cowering, right? So they, they, they come home and, and they come into my presence and they're like, oh, dad. Hi, we're home. You know, now my Chihuahua does that. I get it. I expect that. That's what Chihuahuas do, right? They're sort of weird and trembly like that. And and I'm like, hey, I love you, little guy. You don't have to do that. But but if my kids did that, that would be weird, right? Why are you cowering in my presence? Why are you standing there afraid, trembling? Now, don't miss this. The fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing. Yes. We fear the Lord, but we don't cower in His presence. We can come into His presence. Humbly so, absolutely. Respectfully so, absolutely. But boldly. Confidently, it says in Hebrews. Hmm. For those united to Him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your permanent, new permanent residence. You are not a tenant, you are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. Something like if you, if you mess up enough, he's just going to blow up and everything will be lost. His heart is the green pastures and the still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort. He loves you. He loves you. Know his heart. Trust his heart. He's forgiven you. He delights in you. What a Savior we have. What a Father we have. I was struck by what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. By grace you've been saved. This is all of what the Father has done. He raised us up with Christ and, and seated us with him in the pleasant, uh, heaven, heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages... He might show, listen to these words, the immeasurable riches of His, that's the Father's grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, Christian, when do the coming ages begin? How would you define the coming ages? Here's what I believe with all my heart. That grace and love and lavish display of kindness in Christ that doesn't begin when you die. That's today. And it never ends. It's the very moment you are saved. That is his disposition. That is his delight is to show you. I want to show you how much I love you. I want to show you how kind I am to you in Christ Jesus every day, every day. That is the father you have. That's his heart for you. He's not trying to, 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 to look down from the heavens and see you perform to try to merit the grace that you stand in. He's saying, just bask in it. Delight in it. Sometimes people will end up with a debtor's ethic. They'll They'll say, listen, I, I, I believe that, that 
Jesus died for me and that He saved me and that He paid for my sins. And I believe all of that. And I, by, by His grace, I'm saved. But now I have to prove myself. I have to work to, to show myself uh, grateful. And, and, and I, want, I want Him to just know by all the things I do for Him how much I love. I owe Him. And I'm going to try to pay Him back. Guess what? You can't pay Him back. Don't make the free gift come with strings. He gave you a gift of salvation. Free. No strings attached. He called you to life. He loves you. You don't have to try to perform to, to, do, to, to be good enough. There are people who will leave the, the, the church and, and, and be so over burdened by this this idea that they have to try to now be good enough to carry God's name as if somehow we can be good enough to attain that level you can't that's not how you were saved and that's not how he calls you to live true humility is not trying to wash yourself up and prove that you're good enough to be a Christian true humility is being honest and assessing yourself, I am not where I need to be. Lord, thank you for loving me today. Help me grow. Thank you for your invincible commitment to my holiness. I love you. I want to grow, right? That's a motivation for obedience and holiness. A debtor's ethic, will, it will destroy your, your, your Christian life. One of two things will happen. Either you will be so burdened by all the things that you're trying to do and be good enough and prove to everybody that, that you're a good Christian and you will be weighed down and buried under the weight of your attempts to be good enough. Or you will become very impressed with yourself and you will become an arrogant Christian, which is an oxymoron. An arrogant Christian who will then begin to judge people and say, well, I mean, I know we're all under grace, but that guy, wow. Right? You see how that can In the church, that can happen. And all of a sudden, we turn the good news of the gospel of God's grace into some kind of meritorious life. You're missing the point. You stand in grace you don't deserve it and you're standing in it you're in it fully forever you don't have to try to repay god love him love him live for him hmm. if you're a christian martin lloyd jones says you don't need to prove anything to god you don't have to try to prove anything to god you don't have to win his favor. You already have it. Yours in full. We stand in grace. Humbly so, absolutely. Respectfully so, yes. With gratitude, yes. But also secure and confident. I'm his. I'm his forever. Nothing I can do will change that. Nothing I did made that happen. I didn't earn it, and I can't lose it. I'm his. Now, our fabulous future will finish with this 
this verse here, the second half of verse 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what does Paul have in view here? So we're standing in grace, in faith, we're clinging to the gospel every day, delighting in Christ, loved by a Father, and hoping for the glory of God. Hmm. We have moved from dealing with this glory initially before we were saved in a very different way to now prizing it, right? We, we used to exchange it. Now we exult in it. We used to demean it. Now we delight in it. We love His glory. We can't get enough of it. That's why we eat up this Word. We're hungry. We want to see more. We want to know more. We love Him. We used to revile it. Now we rejoice in it. We move from rejecting the glory of God and, and exchanging it and trying to get it away to now we want to reflect it in the way we live. I want you to picture all of us lined up here. Just to, like if, if all of us got up really, really early, it, it felt like the sun came up at 3 a.m. this morning, honestly. I, it's probably around 5, I guess. Uh, 5 a.m., so we're all up on the top of Sumas Mountain. Okay, picture that. And we're facing to the east. And we're all lined up in a big row. Here is Good Shepherd Community Church. And we're waiting for the sun to rise. And all of a sudden, on the far eastern slope, there just becomes this little dawn, little glow. And it gets a little bit brighter, minute by minute. What's happening to our faces as we watch for the sun to rise? Little by little, our lights, the, the, the light is beginning to illumine our faces. Friends, that's what Paul is talking about here. We have it, and it's coming more in its fullness. This is an already not yet. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen to how John put this in 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That's the not yet and the now, the already, right? We, we're His now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And I love the motivation. Why would we want holiness? Well, because everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Our motivation for holiness is not to try to repay God. Our motivation for holiness is because we prize the glory of God. The epitome of holiness. It's so beautiful and bright and pure and radiant. That's what I want to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Wow. That's the top of the mountain, watching the sun rise. We're staring at the sun day by day. And little by little, as, as we behold, our lights are lit up in His radiance. To do what? To reflect the glory of God. That's our purpose for existing. To share in His glory. Uh, John Piper says it this way, to behold is to become. 
as we behold the Son of God in His radiance, in His glory, we become like Him in that we reflect His glory to the world. One of the most evangelistic things you can do in your life is stare at the Son every day. Lock eyes with Him. Don't look away. Love the Son and you will be radiant with His glory. Wherever you go, you will shine. Our response this morning, I, I just pray, I, I know I've been in counseling situations long enough to know that, that the Christian life can be hammered with condemnation. It can be heavy. Past sins, sometimes they just they rush back. Sometimes out of the blue. And we have this battle. We have a choice to make in those moments. How will we respond? What do we do with that? Friends, run to the gospel. Run to the gospel. I'll give you some R's for, for memory. These weren't in your notes, so you'll have to scribe these down. Number one, good shepherd, rely upon the gospel of Jesus every day. It's not a one-time event in your life. It's every day. Yes, you were saved at once, fully and finally, but every single day, the air that you are to breathe is gospel air. When you see your sin, run to the cross. When you hear the echo of your sin, even by the accuser of your soul, who would say to you, you have nothing to bring to the table, you can say, wrong! I'm a forgiven person. There's peace with God. I live and I am dangerous for good because of what has been accomplished through the gospel. I have every right in this place at the front to bring to bear the weaponry of our battle that once to, was against him, now we fight with him, for him. We come against the dark with his authority. Rely upon the gospel of Jesus every day. Revel in the Father's love and peace. We just need to do more of this. We, we need to spend more time contemplating and just delighting in the love that God has for us as His sons and daughters. He loves us. Hmm. Recognize the grace in which you stand. Don't turn the Christian life into performance. That's not how you were saved, and that's not how you are to, to live as a believer. Lavish love. And grace is ours. Just recognize it and delight in it. Number four, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in what is coming and lock eyes with His glory today. And fifth, repeat it. Do this again tomorrow and the next day. Over and over and over. This is the Christian life. This is what we are to do. This is our occupation. Now, there's other things we do. Evangelism, yes, discipleship. But they all flow out of this. This is how the Christian is to live victoriously day after day until he comes. Relying upon the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we don't deserve to be those who have received such amazing grace. We don't deserve to be those who have been the recipients of this grace and in, 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 in those who have been brought to life through Jesus Christ. 
We delight in your love, Lord, even though we don't deserve it. We sometimes even fail to understand how great it is. Lord, that will be our joy forever to discover your kindness through Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us the the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for stirring us to life from a dead soul to live, to be yours forever. Father, grow our faith. Give us us eyes to spot when condemnation is is reaching up on our our heart to drag us down into despair uh, or even legalism. We, we, We pray that you would help us to run right to the gospel. Make it our instinct more often so that this week, far more than last week, we would be gospel people day by day, clinging to you, delighting in you, confident of the grace in which we stand, And Lord, little by little, make our faces glow with the glory of your Son. Come again, we pray, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.